Welcome to the Reggae Lover Podcast. Yeah, man, Khalil Wonder here with Agard. What's up, folks? It's another Reggae Lover Podcast. So glad that you're listening in. It's the third episode of the new season. We're still inside of January. Still getting geared up. Yeah, man. Kicking off the year. Got uh, an interview for you guys today where we talk to one of the creators of the largeup.com media company, DJ Gravy. Yeah, man. DJ Gravy. Definitely a, a big contributor to uh, dancehall, reggae, Caribbean culture. You know, even though he's not Caribbean. You know, a long time uh, staple on the... Um, New York dance halls and Caribbean scene, but before that, let's uh, let's go into some segments. Let's do buzzworthy. So our buzzworthy story for this episode is all about Shaggy dissing up Rihanna. Rihanna and Shaggy at this one another, yo. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't quite say that, but yeah, there's there's uh seems to be some tension. The headline is Shaggy declines to work with rihanna on her upcoming reggae album so that's that's big yeah you guys may have heard news you know last year or maybe the year before that rihanna was supposedly working on a reggae album the project has been pushed back a few times and her team has declined to give any official dates or really any concrete updates so far we did hear in an interview with ebro when Coffee sat down, she alluded to the fact that, you know, she may be, may have been approached by Rihanna's team to collaborate on a project. We don't know if that's related to this reggae album, but word on the street is that Shaggy was approached, Shaggy was approached and asked to audition to be on Rihanna's album. Allegedly, according to Shaggy. And he allegedly declined that opportunity so yeah i mean uh so rihanna's camp uh hit hit back so to speak saying that you know rihanna is is a big artist so is shaggy and she's working on an album and their question was was why would anybody need to audition um to work with rihanna basically it's either you know they choose to collaborate or, or they don't so they they were uh attempting to dispel the the notion that shaggy would have to audition for anything um i wonder if this is a case of just miscommunication or maybe it's some personal ish i don't know maybe they got into something in the award show or something yeah no nah, um i don't think it's a, like a real personal thing you know but one thing that's got to be acknowledged is that shaggy is diamond yes rihanna's she's one of the biggest selling female artists in history but when you're talking about reggae music, there's none bigger, nobody bigger than Shaggy, yo. This is true. You know, that's alive. We know Bob Marley, them have the richest estate and them are the most money right now. But that's pretty much uh, with posthumously produced, you know, albums and stuff like that. Also so Shaggy true. are the biggest thing, yo. It would be disrespectful if indeed he was asked to inter uh, audition, interview, try out, anything, anything around them were the nasa <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i could i could see if it feels like yo let's 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 get in the studio see if if we can do something or not and maybe you know he might get offended by that because from what i've heard it's like basically you 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 say shaggy i want to work with you and you're working with him you know what i'm saying if he decides so if it feels something like oh let's let's come up with something let's brainstorm and it's not like official then i could see how he can get um offended by that yeah i mean he's coming off the the grammy win on the album he collaborated on with sting and i'm pretty sure sting that's how it went you know it was like hey shaggy you know i want you to do this with me and based on his interviews i've heard with him i mean that's how he works like you know he he it's like he socializes and then somebody says something and it's like all right come on let's go you know it seems like that's how um he got to work with noah noah power you know what I'm saying? It was one of those things where, you know, people suggested it and he was like, all right, come on, let's go. Yeah. I feel like that's the way that the kind of that upper echelon of the industry typically operates. Of course. So this is a little bit of a strange twist. Yeah, definitely. I've never heard. And, you know, Shaggy's a pretty positive person. So, you know, I've never heard anything like this out of his mouth. You know what I mean? Like he's pretty well media trained. He's media savvy. 
you know, so for him to say something like this, you know, he's probably pretty upset about something. I mean, he didn't use any negative he language. He didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. down talk, you know, Rihanna or her team or anything like that. You know, he just, you know, simply stated, I guess he, he stuck to the facts according right. to him. And, you know, that's that he was asked to audition and, you know, that kind of was something that he declined to do and kept it moving. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just reading in between the lines, I guess. Well, we shall see what comes uh, about from the Rihanna album. I'm sure it's going to do, you know, just as well as any of her previous work. And, mm -hmm. you know, of course, Shaggy's got an album out now and, you know, will continue to, to do his thing. Yep, definitely. Also, Buzzworthy is Vibes Cartel's album to Tanisha, which came out last week on Vibes Cartel's birthday. This is quite interesting for so many reasons. To me, and maybe to you, to so many people, one of the interesting things is that we have an incarcerated individual that continues to release music. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, once we put, once we get past that, um, this album is one in which Cartel wears his heart on his sleeve, puts all his business out there, Tanisha is his baby mother or common law, you know, relationship. This lady uh, who's typically referred to in songs as Shorty. They have a couple of kids together. They've been together a couple of decades. And he's been incarcerated for, what, a decade now himself? Yeah. So he puts out this song and it's kind of like he's running through the gamut of emotions all of the 10 tracks are basically having to do with love and relationships and breakups and emotions and things of that nature. So if you're a, a cartel fan, definitely something that you probably have checked out already. About the recording in prison thing. I mean, it kind of reminds me if you ever watch those uh, shows on Latin America where, you know, they go to prison, the, the cartels. <laughs> they 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 ran the countries like like Mexico and, and the other like Central and South South American countries so much that some sometimes their families would actually go into prison with them like you have entire families so you know if you know there's a recording studio you know he's he's on uh, IG <laughs> not social media right. so I mean I guess uh, in other countries their concept of incarceration is. A lot different from in the states even though in the states you know people have been known to have cell phones and and the internet in prison yeah he, he collaborated with six other artists on this album notable collabs would be one featuring jesse royal and one featuring jada kingdom cool i have to check it out yeah man from what i've heard so far women like it and i, I don't I, I haven't heard any guys that that are feeling the vibes so far. Okay, so I'll report back. <laughs> yeah, man. So but we'll go on and talk about the Song Clash industry. On our Song Clash update for today, not a whole lot going on in Song Clash, you know, this early in the year, but there were a couple of clashes within the past couple of weeks that we will touch on. And uh first one is the Diego Cup Song Clash, mm -hmm. San Diego, California. This one went down January 11th in San Diego. Shouts out to Tribe of Kings Sound, who took the title in that song clash, which involved four sounds. Was it only four? It seemed like more. No, it was five okay. sounds. So I think two of them were from the San Diego area, and others are from other like regions. And, you know, definitely want to big up Capricorn Sound from New York and Atlanta, who traveled to the West Coast to compete in this. And they, they did pretty well. It was a good showing. Yeah, man. Shout out to Stitchy. He did his thing. And shouts out to Tribe of Kings. You know, the San Diego sound that's probably, you know, definitely the biggest sound from out there. They've been holding it down since the late 90s, since around the time that Highlander started. Shouts out to my dude Dash Eye. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can check out an interview of Dash Eye in the archives of the regular Lover podcast from a couple of seasons ago. And you could also check out an interview that I did on, on Dash Eye's podcast, the Dash of Fire podcast a couple of years ago as well. Yeah, man. Big up Dash Eye. So this other sound clash. All right. <laughs> in Jamaica, Jamaica One from, 
Another sound from California mm-hmm. faced off against Super Gold. And I think this was in um, a section of Kingston, if I'm not bis- mistaken. But Jamaica one is the Rastaman sound from, from out in the hills in California. And he faced off against Super Gold, which has a new selector, Avatar, who is no stranger to the Sound Clash Arena. Avatar had made stops as the main selector on like five other sounds in, in in like the last couple of years right yeah last time i believe he was on a florida sound right really? i thought i thought i heard his well, name briefly on one of those 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 fort lauderdale sounds i could be wrong though i thought he might have had a clash in fort lauderdale that's probably what it was and so i listened to this dance bro and it was a flawless victory for jamaica one won every single round Every round of the dub for dub, it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I just wish it was better audio. You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but I can't I can't get through <laughs> uh, audio less than a certain quality, so I'll take Khalil's word for it. Yeah, Agard is an audio snob, so, you know, I wanted to just <laughs> give a report on this clash in case you might be an audio snob and, you know what I'm saying, um, also couldn't get I'd through it. I prefer the term audiophile. Thank you. See it there? All right, man. Audio file it is. But shouts out to, you know, congrats to Jamaica one on the victory. And I think that uh, the Super Gold team, they they need to have a meeting and uh, some decisions need to be made regarding the future of that sound. Because that, that clash was very, is, it exposed them, like, in my opinion, you know, you're in Jamaica, you're Jamaican, you have a star Jamaican selector, and here comes this American out-of-towner, not from New York or Florida, but from all the way from California, who touches down and just dominates you, you know, in your home turf. And and it's like a yearly uh, pilgrimage for Joe Mikey, because, I mean, it's like every year he goes down there, you know, dusts off a sound, you know, and then you know basically wrecks havoc you know he did he did a similar thing in new jersey for a while you know he had a couple different clashes in new jersey and and handed them them some losses as well so big up john mikey one man he's definitely fearless you know for real which i would probably like to see him versus warrior versus dynamic you know all the one-man army and king shine like that would be a good clash yeah man that, that would be a good clash line it up you know, everybody you just mentioned is definitely active for this year or, or will be active this year yeah. based on flyers that I'm seeing. So, you know, looking forward to some good competition. Right. All right. Cool. So there you have the Sound Clash update. I just wanted to mention something uh, real quick. I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to uh, speaking of King Shine, King Shine versus Soul Supreme, uh, February 1st. Soul Supreme seems to be back on the, the scene and... Very uncharacteristically, they have a clash in February and then another clash in March. So that's that's kind of big for them because they usually... Clash in March is against Innocent, right? right? In yeah, because they usually have many months in between their clashes. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they handle both of those uh, rivals. Yeah, man. I'm not going to too comment on that it's right all now. Good, just mentioning it. Coming up, we got a dope interview. Agard and I sat down with DJ Gravy. Yeah, man, a real good dude. Uh, he's contributed a lot to the to the you know reggae and Caribbean scene in New York as well as you know across the region. So big up DJ Gravy. Thank you for for being on our show. It just you know just makes you realize how many people really are involved in making this business move forward. You know, there's so many different healthy markets around the world. Where, where the music is continuing to be represented, continuing to grow, thrive, you know, new artists are being launched. Likewise, foundation artists continue to, to do their thing. And, you know, a lot of times you think of the stars, you think of the names, you know, we talk about Shaggy, we talk about Vibes Cartel, you know, we talk about Bob Marley, but, you know, when you check it, you know, you say Bob Marley, but then, you know, people forget about the Whalers. And then if you think about Whalers, you're thinking about Peter and Bunny. But really, there's like tens of different musicians, you know, and producers that they work with over the years. Most of them are still around. I just say that to say, yeah, the DJ Gravy's out there. 
you know, I'm, I'm glad to be able to have the opportunity, you know, to, to do this type of an interview. And, um, yeah, hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, man, enjoy. It's the Regular Lover Podcast here. My name is Agard. We're here with Khalil. And we have a special guest in the building tonight. Uh, he goes by the name of DJ Gravy, a.k.a. Dave Susser. You know, he's a big deal in the business. You know, we got to speak uh, briefly late 2019 at Wall Street Fire's album release party. He's definitely big on the reggae scene in New York and worldwide. So DJ Gravy, welcome to the Reggae Lover Podcast. How's it going? Yo, it's great. It's good. Definitely. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no worries. I mean, we wanted to have you on the show because as you can tell by the title, it's the Reggae Lover Podcast. So we try to cover a wide array of, you know, everything going on in the industry, you know, whether it be community stuff, music, sound system, culture, you know, anything going from music and, and beyond. And from what I can tell, you kind of cover you know, a lot of those bases. I know when we spoke, I mean, you told me some stuff that me growing up, I grew up in Brooklyn, you know, in the in the late 80s and 90s, you know, is when I was coming of age. And there's a lot of things that you referenced that I was definitely well informed about and I've been through myself. So tell our audience a little bit uh, about yourself. Yeah, I'm from New York City. I grew up, you know, all around the boroughs. Always, you know, been a creative kid since forever, you know, music and art and culture and Traveled a lot as a kid, you know. Also just traveled a lot within New York City and just saw a lot of different kind of things, you know, eighties, nineties in New York. And um yeah, reggae was always yeah. like a thing for me since I was like a real young kid and um just kinda took over as I got older, you know. Artistically and professionally and I'm I'm you know, once I get going I kinda you know, I get into things. So yeah, you're you're a classically trained musician, correct? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I grew up playing instruments and music and that kind of stuff. And I started DJing when I was nineteen, twenty. We started playing out around New York City, like the late nineties. All different kinds of parties. I started throwing events in the two thousands. Yeah, that's a, that's another place I know you from. Uh, the Rice and Peas parties. Yeah, Rice and Peas. Yeah, it's been a, a journey. We started that in oh seven. Like when we started Rice and Peas, dance hall was sort of not really allowed at clubs in New York City, like downtown, like any like legitimate club in the scene, you know? Dance hall was something, you know, between the DJs like talking, like, hey, you could slip in like one and then another one real quick and then you got to go into another genre. And it had yeah. to be between 2.30 and 3.30 or so. It was like really regulated, but it wasn't like, couldn't just come blasting in with a dance hall set not too easily you know not 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 too often right and and basically this is like the the main clubs in manhattan because i mean dance halls always had a presence in the outer boroughs you know brooklyn queens the bronx so you're talking about like uh manhattan nightlife basically. yeah yeah i mean i i'd gone out as a young kid and experienced like you know stage shows at amazura you know when that was like real real crazy and and um you know, the festivals and West Indian Day Parade and, you know, dance halls and all these different experiences, you know? And I, I just always saw, like, I, basically, I just started out playing reggae as a DJ and ended up playing hip-hop and playing other kinds of music throughout the years. But then reggae was always my thing, and that's always what I was really doing. Right, right. And I just found, like, putting reggae into these different contexts would be, was always really powerful. When I'd be the one reggae DJ at like a hip hop party with all these dope hip hop DJs, sometimes it'd be like the legends I grew up loving, you know what I mean? I'd come in with the reggae set and just everybody be looking at me like, what the just happened? You know? Sometimes you hear like a lot of one thing and then that reggae comes in like it's kind of a secret weapon. So that it, it kept, you know, sort of distinguishing me. Uh, it would just dis distinguish me in the DJ and club scene as like, that dude who come in with the reggae set and it up, you know? Right. Wow. In in a scene with like hip hop kids and the streetwear world and downtown in Manhattan, you know what I mean? Yeah. There would always be some cool club that was down and down for the reggae, down for mad weed smoke, down for whatever. But those places always like kind of short lived a lot of times. So we're always looking for a home where we could kind of just do our thing, you know. But it, it was a struggle, you know, as far as um bringing it to these kind of places. But but th that's it kind of became a quest of mine. I was like, nah, it's like 
New York in its heyday, like of like the art scene and music scene in the eighties in New York, like reggae was real present. All them like superstars from the eighties, they used to party and hang at like um, reggae clubs downtown, like Basquiat and all these type of people in the eighties, David Bowie and all these people that everyone like worships now, you know, it kind of sets right. the whole hipster scene around. Like these people were actually hanging out in real life, like at reggae spots downtown. It's like, documented and noted and like the reggae scene and like the art scene and the downtown scene, it was all kind of combined you know and it was cool like that and what happened in new york was like the bottle service thing and all this money thing came in and kind of up the club world you know that was pretty clear what was yeah. happening there you know you know to try to do something against the grain and that's cool it got harder and harder because more and more money is at stake in this new york nightlife industry you know right it got kind of bland, you know what I mean? It, it just, it, it lost, you know, it lost that pizzazz because it's ultimately catering to the people with all the money. Those people used to be outside the club and they couldn't even get in no matter how much money they had. Mm. Everything kind of flipped up now. You know, I, as a New Yorker, like I always wanted to preserve that vibe that I got to experience growing up in New York, you know? Right. Where it's like diverse, the diversity of New York City. It like fuels me and inspires me. And reggae caters to that. Reggae is about one love and oneness, right? And bringing people together, you know? Right. So that sort of sums up my story, like bringing different people together through music and culture, like, you know? Right. Yeah, and I, I definitely see that through the Rice and Peas events. That diversity is definitely there. That's the point, yeah. To, to give reggae like a platform in that, in that kind of world where like, yeah, a lot of DJs are checking for it, a lot of industry people are there you know they could easily be swayed by reggae but you have to like bring it to them that that was sort of the vision with rice and peas when we we started at um apt which was like a real legendary club in the meatpacking district yeah when did you do the first one in the timeline and can you kind of just talk to the progression until now and um kind of like you know what elements you started with and then what you kind of added along the way up until now we started at APT. Um, we threw a few parties with different names until like the third one that, that you know, I decided to name it Rice and Peas. I, I was using like different names. But basically, yeah, I had, um, you know, been building with um, a homie of mine that, that worked in the record stores in Brooklyn named Bo Parisi. He was a DJ and worked in all these record stores, knew all the DJs in Brooklyn, had, a, you know, great relationships with a lot of people. And me and him kind of conspired together to start Rice and Peas, you know? We, we definitely wanted Max Glazer involved. That was like, because he kind of already had this presence as a dancehall DJ in Manhattan and in the scene. But he had left town for a while touring with Rihanna. He was on tour with Rihanna for like two and a half years. I kept calling him or whatever, checking in with him like, yo, I, I want to start this party in New York, but I, you need to be a part of it. And he was like, I don't know, you know, he was like on the road for a long time doing that. So kind of started like when he got back from that. Yeah, we had a bunch of different people involved early on. Scarret Boy, DJ Gringo, King Jam from Japan used to rock with us a lot. You know, Original Vibes who's still still there with us. Yeah, myself, Max. There's a lot of different, you know, people used to come and play and come and rock with us and we're definitely a part of it. So, I mean, it was, um, we quickly moved it over to Sway on Spring Street. And that's where things got really, really interesting where, you know, just started getting really diverse as far as all these different type of kids from all over the city. All these kids that were into fashion, into art. A lot of them were West Indian. A lot of them weren't, but there was this whole just blend happening with, like artists used to come and just be like looking at the crowd like, yo, what? Like they never seen a, a dance hall party, like just playing straight reggae, dance hall, soca, all that. And like the crowd looking so diverse and so different. You get me? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was definitely how I described Rice and Peas early on. It's like, yeah, we had a lot of the authentic like people from, you know, from Yard and from, you know, the Outer Boroughs and just all and the artists and the dancers and the, the whole, everybody was coming through and rocking with us because we were doing album release parties for Assassin, for Wayne Wonder, for Egyptian, for, you know, almost anyone that had an album coming out around that time, we were doing the album release parties. So, you know, we had that world. We, we were doing events with Irie Jam. 
And then we were also teaming with like downtown hipster promoter type of people, like basically like Roxy Cottontail. It's like this really popular downtown promoter extraordinaire who I used to DJ her night and I used to play reggae at it and people loved it. It was dope. And it was basically like we were looking for a venue and she had this Monday thing at Sway that was already kind of legendary. But I was like, hey, maybe we could bring this party there. We ended up doing the Assassin's album release party there. And that was insane. You know, we started doing it like monthly there on, you know. I brought a lot of artists up who never really been in the States, who were popping at that time. Left Side had never really performed in the States like as Left Side. Timberly and Natalie Storm and Tiffa were a group called TNT at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're making some like like international waves, like doing their thing. Max was rocking with them really hard. I could go on, man. That I gave you a bunch of stuff because because you'll be able to spout it out quicker than me. You know? Yeah, definitely a lot, a lot of a lot of things there. Um, definitely a, a good place for the dancers as as well. You know what I'm saying? I know when I when I came, I was out of the states for a while. But when I came back to the states, and you you guys started rice and peas, I started going there every now and then. But um, you know, I'd see people like Blacker in there, you know, and, and and those types of people. So you know, big up to all the the dancers that you guys gave a a venue to, because there wasn't a lot. There was a time when the, that whole dancing thing died down, and you know, your party, I know Max's parties, you know, gave them you know a, a, a venue to really do that yeah um the dancers became the focus pretty quickly um because exactly what you're saying there was nowhere for them to go here we were doing monday nights you know what i mean and it was like really anything goes and we 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 started playing a lot of those dancer type of records and stuff like ricky blaze and that kind of stuff like at a time when it was still kind of weird to play electronic music at a dance hall party you know right but all, this whole mix-up that was happening in the crowd, it was happening in the music, too, where I was working with Jamaican and West Indian artists that were mixing dance hall with electronic music. All that stuff was happening, you know? So it was kind of that time. But, uh, yeah, the dancing thing was 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 major from, from, from early on. And a lot of the big, dan- like, Chicken and Beer hosted with us and Black Blingas and... Um, Man, so many dance crews came through and broke up used to be always up in the mix. And I saw something really special there. I'd already been working with dance hall dancers doing shows, doing performances with artists where we would have dancers and stuff. So I was already kind of like seeing that the, the power of this thing, right? The whole Bogle dancing thing was just so vibrant, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, the, the dancing thing, it's like it has its segment typically at the end of the night is when it gets really, really crazy with the dancers or whatever. But that's gone on to all kinds of other different, you know, great things within the platform of Large Up, uh, my media company, largeup.com, you know, where we've been able to provide even far greater platforms for dancers and for artists. Yeah, I wanted to um, ask you about the Large Up thing. You know, you've been doing that for quite a while as well. Did that start before? You started doing the parties. You know what I'm saying? What what really drove the large up and what was really like the vision behind, you know, the website and, and the whole media company? I started Rice and Peas in 07. I'd been doing parties for, you know, a long time already at that point. Large up got kind of started in 09 and really kind of launched in 2010. I had already, you know, worked in so many different lanes of the industry and specifically within like reggae and dancehall, Caribbean music. I saw that the platform was missing, you know, a proper platform that that could that could tell these stories, really, you know? Right. Because it, it's hard to understand certain artists without the story. Like when Movado was on the cover of Fader, they really explained his story and kind of his, um, you know, you, you understand the context of what he's talking about, coming from where he's coming from and the struggles he had. Like a great magazine article or a great story will really bring you in as a fan on a whole other level right so for the listeners who aren't from jamaica or from you know certain areas they just hear these songs but the context might be lost on them so without the story you know the music can only get so far and also i saw that the music industry all around me as a new yorker with my industry kind of friends was you know that the, the game was changing the new support wasn't from record labels anymore it was from brands and everyone around me who works in hip-hop electronic music rock anything 
they were all already way on on this thing and i'm working here with like reggae and dancehall and this and that and and here these people around me are selling culture and i'm like wow you guys are selling culture like you know i'm working in a field that's so rich in culture you know right. reggae is more of a culture than a genre you know you, you end up you into reggae you start getting really into these places and you know these environments and state of minds and it's so much deeper than liking maybe certain genres that you might like and i saw that you know reggae and caribbean music was probably last in line to benefit from this new model that the music industry had become and i saw an opportunity there and something i thought i'd be passionate about you know i saw that it was going to be a challenging you know endeavor but it was something I felt so passionate about that I felt should happen, you know? Right. That's what Larger really set out to do is get that brand support for Caribbean arts, not just music, but just Caribbean arts. Because there was definitely a disconnect at that time. And now we're starting to see that the dots connect. And, 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 and I think over the last 10 years, it looks a lot different than it did when we started, where reggae was in bad shape, you know? It took me a couple of years to like get the thing going and launched and we partnered with OK Player, you know, which was a great platform to, to you know, jump off with. They did. They opened a lot of doors for us and had kind of a built in audience. You know, we gathered up content. I partnered with Marte Corley, who was at the time and to this day is really prominent photographer in working in Jamaica a lot and was pretty much shot just about every living working reggae artist. You know, he was shooting for magazines like Fader and Trace and, you know, other publications, doing really quality kind of stuff, covering reggae artists and dancehall and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the idea was like, can we get those writers and, and you know, photographers like himself and, you know, um, be able to tell these stories at that same quality that you'll see in those magazines? specifically for Caribbean music and Caribbean art culture, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we started that in 09. Um, it was kind of definitely a new direction for me, uh, being a publisher as opposed to like a DJ. <laughs> yeah. I'm still learning all the time, you know? But we did accomplish, you know, some of the things we set out to do, which, uh, you know, feels really good. And the future is really bright right now. You know, artists are getting signed to major label deals. That hasn't really happened much in a while. Yeah. Brands are signing endorsement deals with, with young, new reggae artists or just in general, like more Caribbean people being represented. You know, some of the islands that, that don't get as much love as Jamaica are starting to get, you know, really prominent looks. And uh, all that's really exciting, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think we saw a lot of what you were um, describing that was lacking you know, around the same time. So that's kind of what drove us into blogging and trying to cover some of these events, doing the interviews, um, you know, which ultimately led to regular Lover podcast. So I think it's still, it's still like a need. It's still a, a developmental need for the industry, but it certainly has come a long way. Yeah. I mean, from as soon as we launched and really got going, um, just through our own networks, definitely the OK Player Network, like I was saying, was, was, was really instrumental, opened a lot of doors. We got to do every year the OK Player album, uh, sorry, uh, holiday party, special event everyone looked forward to where it was the Roots and Friends, but nobody would be announced, you know? All the special guests wrote surprise guests. So it was like one after the other from all these different genres. And it was always really exciting, like, you know? Like some of your favorite artists would come out guaranteed every time, every year, you know, but you never knew who. Um, we used to bring out a bunch of like dancehall artists and reggae artists every year. And we'd start the show off with that. And the crowd comes out not knowing what's going to happen. Boom, Shaggy comes out with uh, Razelle doing a beatbox and then the Roots join in. And then he brings out Patra, who no one had seen in 15 years. You know, and then the rest of the crew comes out and, you know, rave on. And yeah, we put a lot of artists on stage with the Roots uh, at those um, holiday parties where some really great early memories of like events and things we did. Just Mr. Vegas, Bungie Garland, Johnny Osborne, Screechy Don, Red Fox, you know, all got to. Mm. Addis Pablo, Christopher Martin, 
You know, it's like a, over a few years, you know, we have them all sit in with the roots. Half of the roots are actually Jamaican. I did not know that. Or three of them. Jamaican, Jamaican, you know? See. Yeah, James Poyser, the keyboardist, Knuckles, and right, Captain right. Kirk, the guitarist, all Jamaican. So anytime reggae artists are around them, they're, they're hype and their cousins are calling in and whatnot, you know? We were with uh, Barris Hammond when he played the, the Jimmy Fallon show, which was exciting. Nice. Yeah, we started a lot of a lot of doors started opening, you know, like we got to do, you know, events at um, Central Park Summer Stage and Lincoln Center and, you know, concerts and uh, film screenings and food events and stuff. Just sort of being there and doing this thing, like people started coming to us. Hey, we want to do this. We want to do that. And a lot of times it was like some really distinguished venues and platforms that, you know, we got to collaborate with. And, and it's still happening just all the time. You know, now the industry's really come around to it. So now it's even at another level. At the time, it was always still a little bit of a communication struggle of trying to curate with some of these institutions or industry type platforms that aren't really up to speed necessarily with like what's happening in the culture and whatnot. So that's where we would come in and that's where opportunities arose where we got to bring chronics for his... Um, really epic show at uh, Central Park Summer Stage in 2014. Yeah, I know, I know you're mentioning a lot of really big names that you know our audience is definitely going to be familiar with, but I just want to give you props on another level because another way that I, I kind of hear your name circulating is amongst like some of, some of my friends who aren't as big. Like I, I started hearing your name with, around uh, We Chief. <laughs> mutual mutual friends, you know, Big Up Jeff, you know what I'm saying, Baja and the whole crew. You know, it's like I hear your name with helping out smaller artists as well. So I, I don't want everybody to think that, you know, DJ Gravy's just, you know, <laughs> sitting in a throne room somewhere. You know what I mean? There's, there's still some groundwork going I mean, most of these artists you see me working with, I, I was working with them before you heard of them. And that's that's yeah. really the thing. And uh, I mean, you know, just being a creative person and surrounding yourself around creative people, like people around you are just going to excel in, in whichever creative field. Like some are, some won't, you know, varying levels, whatever, you know? Like I just come from that creative circle where so many of my friends I grew up with are, are doing amazing things creatively with music, with performance with you know art with fashion you're just you're kind of bound to be around that magic you know when you just mm -hmm. put yourself there and yeah i've gotten to work with a lot of artists before they were big and see the transition which is always kind of enlightening and you know i try to learn something from it every time you know definitely talk to us about your relationship with this artist uh, sister nancy yeah nancy Nancy and I have been working together a lot over the last decade. She she lives in New Jersey, being based in New York City and working in reggae as, as long as I have. You know, you end up working with artists that are available to you. And I found out that she was available. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. I wanted to work with her, of course, you know, as opposed to most Jamaican artists, you either have to go to Jamaica or you got to fly them in. And, you know, it's a way bigger thing as far as like, um, you know, if you have a venue that's saying, hey, we want to keep a reggae show and, you know, hey, Johnny Osborne lives in New York. Sister Nancy lives in New Jersey. You know, Screechy Don and Red Fox, they're both Brooklyn guys. They're local. You know, Nardo ranks another artist I always call for any chance I get, you know, and he's based in Queens. Yami Bolo, same way. You know, so these guys are like New York-based artists who are, have some, some of the richest catalogs, you know, some of my favorite records, and they're all still incredible performers, you know, great people to work with. And um, I got, you know, so I was already working with kind of like all of those artists more or less at that time that I met Nancy, but I definitely saw it as, yeah, a huge opportunity to get to work with her. Started booking her on shows out in uh, Montauk, like out, like just past the Hamptons. These like, you know, kind of upscale boutique hotels that do great programming, great curating. They have all different levels of different types of performers, you know, whatever. You might see Willie Nelson out there playing for like a few hundred people or something. Or you might see Wyclef playing, you know, just at some little, you know, like 
they keep really incredible shows for for small intimate sort of you know maybe three four five hundred but that's like the most usually like these smaller kind of things yeah i love that kind of vibe y'all yeah it's like on the water it's beautiful they have the most incredible food and so it's like a great avenue actually to 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 push reggae and a lot of times they might bring a marley out once a summer or something like that and then other than that they pretty much have cover bands play reggae you know but reggae is a big part of the experience for them out there and i figured like hey let me bring them some more of this real thing like with these authentic artists who are right here in the area you know if you could stretch that budget a little bit more we could get the actual guy who sings the song instead of your boy up the block who covers the song you get me yeah i started you know working that lane and getting to bring like kind of like all the artists i just mentioned pretty much yeah all of them have played with me out in um montauk um nancy a bunch of times johnny osborne i had mike d from the beastie boys at that show like going crazy you know for him yami bolo and kamani marley we had together it was incredible screechy don carlton livingston lady Anne, the nomads we've had where they're passing through and Got to bring them to Montauk a few times and they blew everyone's mind. They had DJ Cassidy in the crowd going totally nuts. Wanted to pose for a picture with them after the show. Uh, if you know about Cassidy, he's like, you know, really respected, you know, DJ and curator and kind of like a brand, you know, unto himself. And that was a, a major cosign. And one of those magical moments where like, man, had I not done that, that would not have happened. You get me like right where sometimes it's a it's a lot of work to to, to to pull off these things they're not easy and they're not always that rewarding like you know financially or whatever but you know certain th- certain magic that you can't really predict or manifest without just doing it you know that stuff just happens sometimes and it's it's, it's special and you realize wow this is right this is us doing this is you know this needs to happen um jesse royal is on that list too artists i brought out out east there and um yeah it's nice man if you guys are out east this summer hopefully we'll be doing some of that kind of thing and um yeah it's it's amazing man like it's definitely special yeah i'll definitely be looking out for that you know my age i'm, I'm looking for those smaller events <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a daytime vibe and it's like you know they get a little wild but yeah it's it's, it's, it's classy you know and and the artists always love it the artists always you know for these older jamaican artists to see like you know to see like celebrities and to see just you know bentley's pulling up to see them yeah yeah they deserve that and so much more you know but it's like it, it's symbolic i think yeah. you know for them to see that, that it's energy they're performing some of the most privileged people in the world you know when we get to do all those so that's always that's always special you know just pick one thing for DJ Gravy, what was the absolute best of 2019? And then tell us what you're looking forward to for this year and in this decade. Uh, growth. That's simply enough, right? <laughs> I think with the decade ending right now, and even like in the last like six months leading up to this, I've been getting a certain clarity looking at, you know, especially like from since the beginning of Large Up, which was 2009, 2010, and seeing, you know, the changes in the, in the Caribbean music industry and, and seeing, you know, the culture get these looks and these platforms that I think everyone already knew a long time ago were, were overdue, you know? But seeing it finally come around has been really rewarding and it's like putting things into, you know, a really positive perspective for me to see what the next steps are to bring it to, 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 to new heights because there's still a lot of work to do. You know, I'm, I'm into music because music heals people ultimately. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to validate it beyond something that I just love doing as a passion. But I know that music is medicine. So to do music right, you have to study. You have to really learn. You have to practice. You have to experience it. You got to go through it to be able to, to, to be able to feed people the right medicine that they need. I really respect like every musician every you know dj every engineer every roadie every like everyone that goes into the process you know songwriters composers i mean just everything like music is medicine and we think of it as entertainment but it's it's really way more than that for us you know actual notes and rhythms are are um the scientists and the laboratories they figured this out don't take my word for it 
So that's what I try to keep in mind when working in music because you get really caught up in the vibe and the trend and the, you know, um, the politics and the industry and the this and that. And you got to remember, oh, wow, just hearing this one note is, is, yeah. is actually like treating my body. You know, hearing one sound can treat your body, can treat you. Yeah. You know, so oh, I have he, to like break it down to that simple level and, and, and remember those like basic principles and, and then and then we can go in and do what we're doing, make this beat or put on this show or go play a set or whatever it is, you know, but reminding yourself. Yeah, man, that's that's deep. I, I, I like I like the optimism that that you're talking about because I mean for the past year there's a lot of people, including us sometimes, that have been kind of criticizing some things that are going on, but then I think we have to remember there's still a lot of good going on in the industry, as you've pointed out today. So I, I appreciate it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anybody that's, you know, out there pushing for the right stuff, you know, I, we try to support everybody and what we're doing. One thing about large up is that we've only ever reported really good news, positive things other than when somebody's passing and we do, you know, something to honor them. There's really no other bad news really reported on Large Up. You know, we really made it a happy place. And we never spelled that out, but it was really important to me um, early on with some of the things that were happening within the dance hall space, you know, early on, talking 2010, 11, you know, 12. <laughs> it was really dramatic years. And we, you know, always made a point to flip it into something positive. And so instead of whatever the, you know, negative things that might have been circulating and people saying, we'd find this like positive way to flip it. And that was the intention with Large Up was um, not to get like um, kick people when they're down, you know, which is really what most media does. We had to develop a business model that was uh, more in line with, with that more conscious and yeah, that approach with, with more of a, a vision and more of a stake in the industry where we want to uplift the industry and we don't want to hurt people in it, you know? And, and even like, right. you know, violence or government corruption or blah, blah, you know, we're not, we're not really looking to highlight those things. We're looking to highlight, you know, people working with kids, you know, we're looking to highlight a dish that you got to go try. We're going to highlight some, a, a new artist a new singer, a new something that, you know, you might not know about that you should, you know? We kept it to that. I feel like that played its role maybe subconsciously to people. Uh, like anytime you went to our site to see what's going on with Caribbean music and culture, something good and happy. And fun. Yeah, yeah, speaking of that, I just want, I want to give you props again, large up. I, um, I remember when it, this co coverage surprised me, but I remember when uh, Guyana had its 50th uh year of independence and you know my family's from guyana i appreciated the coverage you know right. it was real thoughtful you know what i'm saying in-depth coverage with you know photojournalism and all that um i really did appreciate that and it actually surprised me you know how how well it was done so i'll give you props for that as well thanks i can't take too much credit for that and i didn't get to mention um jesse serwer is also entirely instrumental in large up as a editorial director and beyond so basically it's myself uh marte corley the photographer um who does creative direction with us and jesse server who's editorial director and has grown into a lot more over the years with us so jesse and marte did that trip together they did trips like that uh, working with a lot of the tourist boards you know large up covered guyana virgin islands Dominica, Barbados, we did a, a big series kind of thing for uh, Barbados uh, tourism. But Guyana, yeah, that was really something that I, we knew people had not seen. Their tourist department is like really, really small. It, does, it does kind of barely exists, kind of, you know, there's not much happening as far as drawing tourism to Guyana. But to us, that was a great opportunity to show something that's that's not seen enough. You know, we always look to tell some untold story. And um. Yeah, Jesse and Marte did an incredible job there. And I made a point to send it to all like my Guyanese people. I'm like, yo, show this, show this to your families, man. Serious, you know, like it's true. You don't get to see Guyana like that until like National Geographic decides to go there. Right, exactly. You know, yeah, that, that was really special. And certain Guyanese people definitely hit me up about that one. That was that was rewarding for that. And um, yeah, I mean, hopefully more to come, you know? Definitely.
And, um, you know, in the early days of of our podcast, the mix show version, you know, we were featured in the Mixtape Mondays a couple of times, you know what I'm saying? So big up on, <laughs> big ups on that, you know what I mean? Because, again, it's a similar vibe. It's like, you know, I would curate music, select, but I only wanted to focus on positive, positive music, of which there's so much. But then, you know, certain places you look and it's all this darkness that they're putting out in the music. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, every story is just taking, like, the sensational, most controversial, most polarizing aspects of dancehall and putting it out there. And as if that, like, speaks for the whole culture. Well, you know, something I saw happen where we saw a major shift in specifically in Jamaican music was when the 7-inch disappeared. It's it's it has I haven't really heard this spoken about much, but that's one of the things in my whole clarity that I, I, re, I visited recently because yeah. people always talk about how vinyls on this big comeback. I'm like, but all the warehouses I remember are all closed down, so I don't think it's on that big of a comeback. It's bigger Urban Outfitters, but you know you remember the seven inch hmm. was a vital part of Jamaican music until maybe around 05, 06, it kind of died out at that point. And a lot of Jamaican DJs were on yep. CDs already, or reggae DJs in general too, so moving the CDs somewhat. Or we were on turntables, and then Serato came out. So we were kind of, one way or the other, you know, DJs were moving away from vinyl. And, and the stuff stopped getting pressed on 7-inch, like, like started being like, oh, wow, I wonder if this song will even come out on 7-inch, you know? But once the 7-inch industry died down i really felt like um we saw less people investing into reggae because you couldn't get a quick flip anymore off of that seven inch it was a really quick easy way you knew you produce a song with a certain type of artist a certain name you put that seven inch out you're gonna sell a thousand of them two three four thousand you know and whatever it costs for you to produce a song and do all that you're gonna make your money back plus right get your re-up Go back and do it again. Once the seven inch died out, Jamaican music depends on those kind of people, depends on largely dancehall, especially, and reggae, depends on producers coming in and producing the singers, the DJs, whatever, the artists. And they go push it out, right? You know, because they're the big man producer guy. You know, once that seven inch quick flip turnaround stopped being there, we saw things kind of stagnate and there was like no hits coming from reggae music, if you remember, you know, for a few years there. Yeah, I, I was de I was depressed during that time. Yeah, after Taurus Grandi, um, Royal, things, you know, and there was Linus on the rise, and that it just started getting really thin for a few years. Just, even in Jamaica, I'd be there and be like, what's the big reggae one drop song? And like, nothing. It was like, it kind of was like that for a second, you know, and it was, or yeah, I don't know, there was, yeah, so, so, and then dance hall, I think started getting more and more extreme to try to keep up and keep your attention. It started getting more and more and more extreme, you know, a cartel. And then it became more like the alkaline engage and Tommy Lee kind of, you know, it just started, you know, just getting really extreme. So I saw a lot of people getting disillusioned to that. People who felt like it was immature, like, like real Jamaican dance hall patrons, you know, but it were just like, ah, uh, you know, it was too much for them. You know, but then there was no roots to really turn to either, like a new big Sizzla tune or a new, you know, they didn't, there wasn't really one of those either. And it was kind of like trap and pop music started playing more and more and more and more, you know, started filling those voids. You know, it was sad. Every time I went to Jamaica, I heard more like Lady Gaga and more like Blue Ride <laughs> or whatever, you know. The yeah. Pop records really running the place, you know, it was like Black Eyed Peas. That was hard for me, you know. Yeah, I've never I've never heard that connection made like that, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was with cuz I was working like with uh, record stores and stuff like that and doing the buying from the warehouses. So I had that perspective. That's actually where I met like the the guys for Rice and Peas, you know, was was at those music warehouses, you know. Original Vibes and Max Glazer was always over there, Music Ambassador, and that's that's where my partner I started Rice and Peas. He used to like work there. Yeah, that was kind of where a lot of the things started happening, I guess. And uh, just seeing those those record sales, those stacks of seven inches, you know, disappear. And then we saw the music just totally change, 
you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, a lot, a lot changed, now man. I'm starting to get this, this perspective on kind of what happened there. Everybody was dizzy from it. All my like hip hop club DJ friends who I came up with, who sort of look at me to answer reggae questions for them, you know, were like, yo, what is going on now? Like, what do I play? Now the record stores are closed and all the dance hall I hear is like 127. I don't know how to mix it in with hip hop that I'm playing and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, everything got kind of topsy-turvy around that time. You yeah. Know? So I think now, you know, a lot of good things are happening and I'm thankful. So should be interesting like in, into this decade i think we're experiencing like a a, a great era where well, a lot of things are possible i think we're going to see great things happen within reggae and dancehall and caribbean music and, and the culture really reaching like new levels of um appreciation worldwide and, and you know familiarity like the way like i feel like certain cultures are like glow like recognized Globally, I think Jamaica and the Caribbean definitely has that, but I think there's, um, you know, more of the culture that people can take in and, and appreciate, and 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 the world can benefit from. Definitely, man, and and you know what? I, I've been uh, cynical the past decade, but you saying those words, I actually believe it. You know, because there has been a lot of good stuff. So I definitely appreciate the works. Yeah, man. Thanks again for having me on the show, man. For real, yo. It's it's a big deal, you know. Um, my word for 2020 is unity. You've been speaking to a lot of unity um, and how you've been able to accomplish a lot of the things that you've done, you know, by joining forces with various creative people. And I think that that's a winning formula. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't ask you the type of questions that, you know, maybe some of our guests, you know, we talk with analyzing, you know, what the, what are the problems with the business and this kind of thing, because you seem like the type of person who, you know, you just look and you just go and move and, and just kind of, you know, you, you are the change that you want to see kind of thing. And you know what I'm saying? You kind of just, you figure out what the missing ingredients are and you, and you plug them in where they need to be. You know what I'm saying? That's definitely pretty much right where we are. So, you know, just want to wish you all the best, you know what I'm saying? Continued success, continue good works with the, with the music and definitely thank you for, for all of your contribution and, and thank you for being here, taking some time out to chop it up with us as well. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, man, for sure. And uh, yeah, a lot of things, you know, the future looks really bright. So, you know, we'll catch back up in the right time. Yeah, man. Definitely. And how could people follow your, your movements? I mean, I'm, I'm at DJ Gravy on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow at LargeUpDOTCOM on uh, everything, pretty much. Um, at Rice and Peas Party. You know, we have a couple of events we're about to announce, actually. Uh, excited about. Still going strong. Something like 13 years in. Brap, brap, brap. <laughs> So yeah, and 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 man, I mean, you know, it's hard to touch on all kinds of different. I got like a live music project. Yeah, man. Uh, we've been doing some shows that have been really exciting. We've been playing some really incredible concerts and stuff. That's called Dollar Van. You'll hear more about that soon. About to start releasing stuff with that. And um, uh, man, you know, there's more and more and more. But yeah, you tune in, you get the memo definitely yeah i appreciate it man so you'll probably see me at one of your parties soon soon enough man so thanks again you know keep up the good work and 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 thank you for all your contributions man hey thanks a lot y'all regular lovers podcast yeah man i really like that interview bro yeah man uh dj gravy dropped a lot of uh, gems you know what i'm saying um, in case our audience didn't know about largeup.com, they need to check that out as well. And if you're in the New York area, you know, you'll, you'll see DJ Gravy's name on, on many different events. Definitely. You know, big up to all the people that still support the reggae and the dancehall scene in the city. You know what I'm saying? A lot of y'all have moved away from supporting the Caribbean events. You know what I'm saying? So big up to everybody that still does. Also, just want to mention that Nice Up Radio is where you can tune in for the live broadcast of this show, special edition each and every Monday, noon to one Pacific Standard mm -hmm. Time. Big up to Nice Up Radio family. Share and subscribe to this podcast on all podcast platforms, including Pandora. Yeah, man. Big things.
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know, the whole works. And we dedicate this show to the loving memory of Martin Luther King Jr. Hopefully, if you're listening on MLK Day, you have a blessed day. Take some opportunity to reflect on some of the people who paved the way and blazed the trail to create opportunities that you have right now. Listen to some good reggae music, break bread, and maybe even share some positivity, share some history with somebody in your circle, pass down some knowledge to a youth man or something like that. Izumi. Definitely. Well said. I second that sentiment. Yeah, man. Get in contact with the crew here at Reggae Lover via email at regularpodcast at gmail.com on your socials. You know what I'm saying? It's Reggae Lover Podcast everywhere. That's Instagram and Facebook. Got the Facebook page popping. You know, um, big up to all the people who have followed the page or liked the page in the last month. All thousand of you, you know what I'm saying? Page growing really fast. So um, thank you for that. And um, on Twitter, it's at Reggae Lover Pod. We're tweeting. You know what I'm saying? Hit us up. Yeah, man. If you need to get in contact with me, just uh, hit me up on Instagram. Instagram. It's A-O-A-Guard, so at A-O-A-G-A-R-D. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great week. Peace. Bless. For booking of Highlander Sound, 404-552-0492 or email reggaeloverpodcast at gmail.com. Visit Highlander Sound on the web at reggaelover.com. Follow at H-I-G-H-L-A-N-D-A on Twitter. Follow at K-A-H-L-I-L-W-O-N-D-A on Instagram. And like Facebook.com slash Highlander Music for more information.